0: core to the cloud. Okay. Good evening, everybody. Hi, Leon. <laughs> okay. Everyone see me? I look, My head looks very big. Okay. Hi, El. So last week we discussed the, the sword of Eliezer in riding the camel and being metaken, fixing the Nahash He was fixing the aspect of the satan riding on a legged snake who had the appearance of a flying camel in Gan Eden. If you were there last week, it's good because it'll help to better understand this week. If not, it's not a problem because we're going to go over the concepts specifically related to this week. So this week we're going to look at the same story from a different point of view, but we're going to still see how everything we've been discussing over the last month fits together so beautifully to allow us to better understand our avot, Our forefathers and imahot and our mothers. We're going to explore the matter of Rivka imenu riding on the camel. Says vatakom Rivka. So Rivka got up and her vinaroteah and her girls with her, and she rode upon the camels and she went after the man. And then it says vatisa. Then she. What happens was she comes to Isaac. She sees Isaac. She raises her eyes. She sees Isaac. She's so shocked from what she sees, either his holiness or the aspect we mentioned of his Givurah, his uh, his uh, his the side of strength. She fell off the camel. So the rabbi often cautioned us, and we said many times that the Torah is not a storybook. We have to remember. That the stories that the Torah gives us are filled with concealed messages and illusions. The Zohar Kadosh reprimands anyone who believes otherwise. Says the Zohar, Praiseworthy Abu Yisrael, who are given the Torah from above, the Torah of truth, and whoever claims that a particular story told in the Torah relates solely to that particular event, says the Zohar Kadosh, that person should be doomed. We cannot imagine that the Torah is just a storybook telling a story. So every time we have a story, we have to try to delve into the story and try to understand what the hidden messages to us are in our mother Rivka riding upon what we mentioned last week was a flying camel. It doesn't have to be flying. It says, she saw Yitzhak, She saw his magnificence. She was astounded by him. Rashi says, and she fell. She fell literally. Rashi then brings the Targum, Unkelus, and he says, no, she inclined herself towards the earth, but did not actually reach the ground. <clears throat> so the question we're going to start with, was she so startled by what she saw in Yitzhak that she fell, like we mentioned last week, or does she slide down gracefully off the camel without touching the ground I don't really know what that means there's a big difference here whether she falls or whether she gets off slowly and the problem is it seems there's either two choices either she fell or she dismounted slowly but the rabbis teach us ve both of these are the words of a living God so if both are two opposite opinions how could they both be right that's the first question here are the other questions that we want to look at and try to answer. What does it mean when Rivka tells Yaakov later on, when she sends him to get the blessings from Yaakov, from Yitzhak, that if he curses, the curses are going to be on her? I mean, if Yitzhak is going to curse Yaakov, he's going to curse Yaakov. How does her say, no, it's going to be on me? It's like, you know, you, don't worry, uh, I'll be responsible, but you're really responsible. What does it mean? Yitzchak, at the end of the portion of Toldot, blesses Yaakov with the blessing of Avraham. If he always intended on giving the blessing of Avraham to Yaakov, what's this initial blessing that he wanted to give Esav? Why did he want to give this blessing to Esav? And if it was a different blessing than the blessing of of, of Avraham, why did Rivkan need to resort to trickery to change things? The question then, in trying to bless Esav, what is Yitzhak hoping for in Esav? And what is the source of Esav's desire to trick his father into believing he was something who he wasn't? Rashi, we're going to see when, we saw last week, when we we wait. So we saw last week. No, we see this week. We, we see that uh, that Rashi says when when Rivka goes to ask the question whether it's from the yeshiva Shem Ever and she wants to know what's going on in her womb that she has this fighting. Rashi says two nations. Who are the two nations? Rav Yehuda Hanassi, Rabbi Judah the Prince, and Antoninus Caesar. The question is, we have Yitz- Yaakov and Esav. Why are we bringing up Rav Yehuda HaNasi and Antonina Caesar? Well, what are you talking about? So that those are the questions we're going to try to answer. It says, Rav Rabbeinu Ha'ari, he sheds light through our understanding of Gilgulim, of reincarnation. says, Rav know that Rivka riding on the camels is an allusion to the infamous... Nahash, whom our blessed Rabbi said was like a camel. The Mem Satan, he's riding, he rode on this camel, this Nahash, to entice Chava and when he touched her, he infected her with this negativity that went inside her. Now she rode, she, Rivka rode on this camel, this Nahash says by Rabbeinu Ari, in keeping with the pasuk from Zechariah, a humble man riding upon the donkey. Talking about the Mashiach who will eventually come riding the donkey. The donkey represents the physical. The Mashiach riding the donkey is the spiritual riding on top of the physical, conquering the physical. In the same way, our mother Rivka is riding upon the camel, who is the Nachash, to gain control over the Nachash. To better understand this, let's refer to explanation from Rabin Uhari in Likutei HaTorah on this week's Perashah. Says in this week's Ter Vayeter Yitzchak Hashem. Yitzchak prays to Hashem, he says, opposite his wife. They each went into the corner, two corners of the room. One prays one corner, one prays in the other corner. Hashem listened to his prayer and Rivka got pregnant. His wife got pregnant. Says Rabbi Hari, La Hashem, these words, that she prayed La Hashem, Lenochach Ishto. He praised Hashem, Lenochach Ishto. He praised Hashem because of his wife, because she was barren. If you rearrange the le- final letters, we have a He, a Chet, and a Vav. Says Rabbi Hari, Chava. Chava. She is, Rivka is Chava. She is our mother Chava brought back again. Rivka corrects the sin of Chava because she's a Gilgul of Chava who fell prey to the Nachash HaKadoni, to the original serpent, and ate from the Etzadat. After the sin, Hashem cursed the Nachash. He said to the Nachash, because you have done this, you're cursed. And what's going to happen you're going to crawl on your belly, eat dust all the days of your life. Rashi comments, the the Nachash crawls on its belly because it once had legs, which because of the sin, were removed. Pirche de Rabbi Eliezer explains, what did the Nachash look like with legs? And he says, Prior to the Chet, the serpent's form resembled that Kemin Gamal, that of a camel. So the Samachmem is none other than the Yetzir Hara, who rode upon this camel Nahash in order to trap Adam and Chava. Explains Rabbi Nohari, the Satan, Samachmem, was the great ministering angel in Shamayim. And what? He wants to find someone who's going to be like him, who's going to be adept at, at this trickery, and he couldn't find anyone better than the Nachash. And the Pasuk says, The Nachash was more cunning than any animal in the field. And its form resembled a Gamal. He mounted it. He rode it. So let's review. The Torah records that Rivka rode on a camel. In her first incarnation as Chava, Rivka was deceived and trapped by the Satan, the Samachmem, riding on the Nachash. So now in this reincarnation as Rivka, she rides on the camel which the Nachash resembled, and this act our rabbis explain shows that she controlled it and subjugated it. She did not follow in the footsteps of her father Betuel, nor of her brother Lavan Ha'arami. They were both thoroughly wicked. Instead, she adhered to the Kiddushah of the Avot and of the Imahot. She followed in their footsteps. The Gemara says, Heichidami Baal Teshuvah. How can we tell that someone is in fact a Baal Teshuvah? Amar Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says, The only way to tell is to put the person in the same circumstances with which they initially failed and sinned. And this time they succeed. What does he give an example? He says, Like being put with the same woman at the same time in the same place. Says this demonstrates that he withstood the persuasions of the Yetzer Hadra and he could be called the true Baal Teshuva. So as we discussed last week relating to Eliezer, it was precisely for this reason that Rivka Gilgul of Chava rode on the camel, which alludes to the Nachash. This indicates that she was returning to the same circumstances under which she encountered the Nachash the first time, when the Nahash still had feet. When it resembled the camel, this time, however, a similar time, similar place, Rivka performs teshuvah for her initial failure. This time, she rides atop the camel, demonstrating her dominance over the nachash with legs, subjugating it to the kedushah of the Torah mitzvot that she's adhering to. If we begin to understand the tikkun Rivka makes for Chava we could begin to understand through the teaching of the the Arizal in Likutei Torah. He explains, Rivka Imenu intervened and was so adamant about Yaakov going before Yitzchak, his father, to receive the brachot that Yitzchak intended to bestow upon his son. What happens? Yitzchak is 122 years old. He realizes his mother died at 127. He doesn't know how much more years he has to live. He ends up living another 58 years. He says, so what does he do? He calls his son Esav to give him blessings. Rivka hears and she's going to substitute Yaakov for Esav. What does she say to Yaakov? Yaakov says, what do you mean, Ma? If Daddy catches me, he's going to curse me. I'm doomed. And she says, no, I willingly accept any curses or repercussions that are going to ensue. He says, what does it mean? She says, v'atom erlohim, says to his mother, his mother says to him, sorry, she says, "Alai on me is your curse, my son. Ach shema bekoli, just listen to what I'm telling you. Velech and kachli, and go and take for me. Go get the goats so I could prepare the food for your father. We have to keep in mind. Rivkaz Gilgul of Chava. Because of her, the man, who's the man? Adam. But remember when we're going to have the story about Yaakov and he goes for the dream and the angels going up and down. The angels are shocked because they look at the face of Yaakov and who do they see? They see on the face of Yaakov, the face of Adam HaRishon. The rabbis teach us that Yaakov Avinu was the exact same as Adam HaRishon. He had the same splendor of Adam HaRishon. Now it was necessary because as Chavashi messed up Adam HaRishon, Who does she have to help? She has to fix Adam HaRishon in the Incarnation as her son, Yaakov Avinu. So it was necessary to perform a tikkun, how? Through positive listening. Just as Adam listened negatively, Hashem, it says there, because you listen to the voice of your wife, this is the directive that Rivka gives her son. What does she tell him? Only listen to my voice. Ach, it says Ach. What does it mean, ach, only? This time you're going to listen for positive purpose. Last time, it was a negative purpose. We learned from here the sacred comments. These are vital to understand Rivka as the Gilgul of Chava. She intervened and she made every effort to ensure that Yaakov would receive the Berachot instead of Esav because Yaakov, Avinu was the Gilgul and the Tikkun of Adam HaRishon. We all learn the face is the same. Yaakov is Adam, stage two. The Zohar for, for this assertion, it comes, the Zohar Kadosh states clearly. It says, Deha Yaakov Dugma de Adam Harishon. It says, Yaakov was the image, the spitting image of Adam. De Yaakov Shufira de Adam. He says, He had the radiance, the magnificence of Adam Harishon. Chava caused Adam HaRishon to be cursed because Adam listened to her. He ate from the tree. And we know what it says. It says, because you listen to the voice, it says, now what's going to happen, Cursed is the ground, and by the sweat of your brow, you're going to work. Therefore, it's incumbent upon Rivka to fix the curse by ensuring that the brachot that she took away from Adam through whatever she did, she took away the brachot by causing him to eat from the tree, by causing him to fall. Instead of him bracha, he has a curse. What's the curse? To work, to make a living. So how does she have to do it? She has to fix it for Yaakov, son, who's the tikkun of Adam. This is the implication when she tells Yaakov Avinu. She says, Alay, upon me is your curse, my son. In other words, it's my responsibility, she's telling Yaakov. I have to rectify the curse that I brought upon you and the other Gilgul. And I plan by doing this, by helping you to receive the brachot. Now to make amends for Adam HaRishon's wrongdoing. What was his wrongdoing? Listen to his wife the first time for a negative purpose. Because you listen to the voice of your wife, says the Torah. It was Yaakov's responsibility as a tikkun of Adam HaRishon this time to not listen for a negative purpose, but to listen for a positive purpose. He did so by heeding the advice of Rivka, the Gilgul of Chava, thereby rectifying the initial corrupted act of listening. It's unbelievable how clear it is. This is the significance of Rivka's statement, Ach Shema Bekoli, just listen to my voice. Ah, this time, this Gilgul will fix what went wrong in the last one. Now Rabbi, the Teferi Shalom, explains, as we did in our class last week, that Eliezer chose Rivkah as the suitable wife for Yitzchak because she performed acts of chesed. Thus, she would be able to use her chesed to mitigate and balance out Yitzchak's midah of din. I believe. That Yitzhak's challenge, sorry, no source for this. If you don't like it, you don't have to accept it. I believe that Yitzhak's challenge was to overcome his Midat Hadin. Remember, what was the challenge? What was the challenge of Avraham? Avraham was filled with chesed. So Avraham's challenge was to overcome his chesed. What do you mean overcome his chesed? His whole life is giving, doing, taking care. Now one test is throw out your son Yishmael. Another test is take your son to sacrifice. Those go completely against the grain. When we get tested, we get tested to control our anger, to control our desire, to control our this, that, or the other thing, to not do something wrong. That's our test. The avot is so much beyond us, that they're not being tested just to do the right thing. They're being tested to go against the grain, to going against their nature. The nature of Abraham is to do chesed. The nature of Abraham is to do kindness. Comes his wife, whose Gevura, whose Sarah is, is Gevura, is strength. She tells him, throw out the housekeeper. Well, she's a princess, but throw out Hagar. Throw out her son. So against Abraham's nature is this, but he has to overcome his nature. To do the work of Hashem. So what's the nature of Yitzchak Avinu? Givurah. Givurah is strict justice. Means he sees Esav not doing 100%. What should he do to Esav? Throw him out! But what does he do? He overcomes his givurah, He overcomes his strict justice to do Chesed for Esav. The problem here is it means by doing Chesed to Esav He's going strict justice Dean, for Yitzchak So I believe also at the same time That Rivka, Who's so far on the side of Chesed She's so far on the side of kindness Let me give you water Let me give all the animals water She's so kind She's completely like Abraham Imagine how hard it was for her To take a child who came from her own womb This Esav is her baby And to say to her I, I, we got we to gotta do something against him. She has to overcome her chesed with this aspect of din in order to give chesed to Yaakov. We have to remember that Yaakov only received the brachot because Rivka intervened and she instructed Yaakov to approach his father in a devious manner. To understand the possible motives, the rabbi suggests that Yitzhak feared that the blessings of Olam Hazer, why didn't Yitzchak want to bless Yaakov with these blessings? He was afraid that the blessings of Olam Hazer would distract Yaakov. You, you have to understand that Yitzchak understood that Yaakov was the ultimate student. He was the ultimate Sadiq, and he wanted Yaakov to sit there and learn. And he was afraid if Yaakov was involved in the work of this world of olam hazeh, it would have a negative effect on him. The pasuk tells us in Devarim, yeshurun became fat and he kicked. The, the, The Torah is telling us, Hashem is telling us that sometimes great affluence results in people becoming lax and even rebellious against Hashem. So Yitzchak said, no, I want Yaakov just to sit and learn not to deal with the stock market, not to deal with business, not to deal with customers, not to deal with the farm, not to deal with the animals. Let him sit and learn. It was only due to Rivka's wisdom and foresight that Yaakov received the bracha. She understood that it was necessary to have riches in this world, wealth in this world, and that can assist us with serving Hashem more completely. This coincides exactly with what Ravino Hari says. Rivkaz Gilgul of Chava. As such, she caused Adam Harishon to sin and provoke the attribute of Deen. Consequently, how is Adam punished? By the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat bread. Life is going to be very difficult, Adam, because you sinned. So what happens? Hashem assigns Rivka the task to fix this. She has to mitigate the force of Yitzchak's Midad Hadin, which would have denied Yaakov the brachot of Olam hazeh of this world. She has to orchestrate the events so that Yaakov, the Tikkun, the Gilgul, the reincarnation of Adam Arishon, would receive the brachot. And what's the bracha? May Hashem give you of the dew of the heavens, the fatness of the earth, abundance of grain and wine. This blessing that Yaakov takes from Esav, that his father gives, is a blessing of physical prosperity in this world. This is the blessing that Rivka has in mind to take and give to Yaakov. Why? Because she caused Yaakov to be cursed as Adam that is only going to live by hard, hard work. Now she's going to return it from being cursed with hard work to being blessed with wealth. Let's introduce the third party to the story. So far we have Rivka is the Gilgul of Chava. Yaakov is the Gilgul of Yaakov is the Gilgul of Adam Who's the Nachash? Explains Rabbi Hari Esav Harasha, Who wanted to receive the Brachot Who was he? Why? The Zohar Kadosh says that Esav was the earthly embodiment Of the Nachash HaKadmoni Of the original serpent Which caused Adam and Hava. To partake of the etzadat, of the tree of knowledge, the pasuk says, hi Esav, ish yodeya Esav was a person who understood how to hunt. He was a trapper and a hunter. Says Targum Unculus, he says an alternate impre- in interpretation. He says, "Vehu he says Ve Esav gever nach shirkan. What is this word, Nachshirkan? Says the Shelah Kadosh. It's a contraction of two words Nachash Yarkin. Shehayah Siman Nachash Al Nachash Yarkin. Yerkosh El Esav. Says that Esav had a mark resembling the sign of the snake. He had a birthmark that looked like a snake on his thigh. This alluded to the fact that Esav in this world was a representative of the Nachash, the snake. With this understanding, we can begin to fathom the extent of Esav's deceit, his motivation for wanting to receive the brachot from Yitzchak. In the form of Nachash HaKadmoni, the cleverest, the most cunning of all animals. Remember that Esav was the same as Yaakov, genius of geniuses. His potential was as high as Yaakov or even greater. It says that this Nahash was a malicious Chacham. He trapped Adam and Chava with a lie to Chava. He claimed that on the day you eat from the tree, your eyes are going to be open, you're going to be like God, knowing good and bad. By means of that lie, he brought death to Adam and all of creation. Consequently, Hashem punished the Nachash Arur you are cursed beyond all of the animals. Therefore Esav, the nachash, cleverly reverted to his previous ploys. He uses lies, he uses deceits to come up with a way to receive the brachot from his father. He pretends to his father to be the Sadiq. Listen dad, I'm a man of the field, I'm a hunter, but at the same time I'm a good guy. Tell me, Dad, how do you take ma'aser, the 10% to give, when it comes to salt? How do you take the 10% when it comes to giving straw? These are things we don't have to give. But in, in asking his father, his father say, Wow, my son is a hard-working businessman. But even though he's a hard-working businessman, he wants to be a straight shooter and give what he's supposed to give. So Esav deluded. His father Yitzchak into thinking that he observed the mitzvot. Not just observe, but rigorously observe. So that Yitzchak would give him the brachot. In this manner he thought to outwit Hashem, so to speak. Hashem who cursed the nachash. Hashem, however, quashed his plans through the intervention of Rivka, who is the Gilgul of Chava. Chava lost to the nachash. Rivka outwitted the Nachash HaKadmoni. She tra- he trapped her, and now she was going to come back and get him. She cleverly, cleverly orchestrated that Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov our father, the Gilgul of Adam would receive the Brachot instead of Esav. The Zohar Kadosh writes, that when Yitzchak said to Esav, he says, and I will bless you before Hashem, Imagine, he tells Esav, come to me, go get me food and I'm going to bless you in front of Hashem. Says that the Kiseha kavod itself started to shake. Hashem said, how is it possible that the nachash who I cursed because of the etz hadat is going to be released by Yitzchak of the curses? Immediately the malach Michael was summoned. He went with the Shekhinah inside of Yaakov. So that when, Yitzhak come, when Yaakov comes to Yitzchak and Yitzchak smells Gan Eden, he knows inherently that this is the right son. And later on, even though Esav came to him and said, My brother stole the blessing. Yitzchak says, No, I blessed him and he is blessed. He's the blessed one. It's so amazing when we consider that Hashem arranged for all three parties to be present at the same time. Rivka as the Gilgul of Chava. Ya'akchao Vavinu as the Gilgul of Adam HaRishon. And Esav HaRasha as the embodiment of the Nachash, the original snake. All three met the first time in their first Gilgul. The Nachash was victorious. Hashem cursed him emphatically. Therefore, Esav, the current embodiment of the Nahash, comes up with an even plan. He's going to outwit Hashem this time! He's going to receive the brachot from Yitzchak, and he would no longer be cursed, but he would be blessed. Rivka, the Gilgul of Chava, who was tricked by the Nachash with a lie in her first Gilgul, intervened. She's the Gilgul. As Rivka, she prevails over Yaakov. He's the Gilgul of Adam. And she tries to convince him, and she does, that the only way to overcome the Yetzel Hara is to act crookedly, deviously with him, like he wants to act with you. Thus, Yaakov Avinu receives the Brachot from Yitzchak by outwitting Esav the Nachash. Thus, what does Yaakov do when he receives the Bracha? He frees himself From the curses that Adam was cursed, and he replaces the curses given to Adam with the brachot bestowed upon him by Yitzchak Avinu. Now let's try to understand Rivka, the Gilgul of Chava riding on the camel. As we learned, she was subjugating the Nachash Hakadmoni, who, who still had legs. Now, when Esav's ministering angel, now we're going to see in a couple of weeks. There's going to be a wrestling match. Yaakov is on his way back from Laban's house. He's going back home. On his way, he's divided in the camps. He's worried Esav is coming to meet him. He separates the family. And then what does he do? He goes back across the Yavok, the river, to get some little bottles he left. And he meets, he meets a man there who wrestles with him all night says, who was this person wrestling with him? This was the angel of Esav. says, he saw, he couldn't defeat Yaakov. He hits him. He strikes him with a blow to the ball of Yaakov's thigh bone. And it became dislocated as they wrestle. According to the Zohar Kadosh, the ball of Yaakov's thigh bone, this alludes to those who support the Torah. Those who support and pay so that others could learn are called the legs of Yaakov. Says the Torah, the legs of Yaakov are those who give sedaka in order for others, the Torah scholars, to learn. The Zohar Kadosh teaches us Yaakov Avinu is the pillar of Torah, so Yaakov requires legs in order to support the pillar of Torah. Without the support of benefactors, Torah scholars can't survive. If you're gonna tell someone to sit and learn, someone needs to help him. Therefore, Esav's angel attempts to harm, to harm the, the Torah, the supporters of Torah, prevent them from doing their job, their sacred job. He steals in a sense the legs of Kidusha appropriating them for his own use so that he could stand and he could walk on them. You took the legs from the Nahash, now the nachash is going to figure how to get legs back. What are the legs? The legs are the legs of those who support Torah. He's going to try to steal those legs for himself. When Hashem tells the Nahash that he's going to be cursed and doomed to crawl in his belly, he's indicating that that its supports were shattered, its legs were cut off, leaving nothing for the Nahash to stand on. Thus, when Bnei Israel failed to support the Torah, what are we doing? We're taking the legs, we're giving them back to the Nahash and allowing the Nahash to stand once again. We see a proof from this. It says in Iyov, It happened one day. The angels came to stand before Hashem, and with the angels, one of the angels, the Satan too, he came among them. Hashem said to the Satan, Satan, where you been? The Satan replied to Hashem, from wandering about the earth and walking on it. Mishut says, wandering the earth and walking on it. The rabbis ask, why you need both? It's either one or the other. Wandering the earth, finish. What do I need? Wandering the earth, walking. Rashi explains that it's the way of the Satan to wander the earth and observe who's good and bad. But why the redundant language? Why wandering and walking? The, expl- the explanation, however, is that this is the method of Satan to find fault with B'nai Israel, Chas V'Shalom. When he wishes to wander among God's creatures to see if they're worthy or not, he has to do it on his belly. He lacks legs to walk on. If, God forbid, he finds that Ben Israel are not engaging in the proper Torah study and in supporting the Torah study, what does he do? He refers, he takes Yaakov's legs, he steals them, and then he could walk upon the earth. So when Hashem turns to Satan, He says, "Where have you come from?" The response of Satan is an indictment of Bnei Israel. I made an excursion. I found Bnei Israel aren't learning Torah because they're not supporting Torah, and therefore I took their legs, and then I was allowed to walk around the earth because I succeeded in confiscating Yaakov's legs. They were remiss in supporting the Torah. I get the legs. Now let's better understand why Yitzchak wished to bestow the brachot upon Esav. Why or why would would Yitzchak want to give Esav the blessings? Why him rather than Yaakov even though he was well aware that Yaakov was engaged in constant study of the Torah? Yitzchak hoped that the two of them would function together like Yisachar and Zivulun. What's Yisachar and Zivulun? One works, one learns, they have a partnership. They share the money, they share the learning. (coughs) What did he hope? He hoped that Yaakov would fulfill the role of Yisachar in studying the Torah day and night, while Esav would fulfill the role of Zivulun, supporting his brother Yaakov and providing all his needs. The Khatam Sofer writes, the purpose of creation was for Yaakov and his descendants B'nai Yisrael to act as a nation of priests. Am Kohanim, a sanctified people. says, they would all engage us. We should all engage in the study of Torah like Yisachar. It says, but how are we going to live? Who's going to support us? says the Khatam Sofer, the plan was that Esav and his descendants would serve the function of zevulun, supporting Yaakov and his descendants so that they could devote themselves to Torah study and the service of Hashem in a leisurely fashion. When Rifka goes and she says, what's going on in my womb? That there's this battle. She's told there are two nations. Shnei geyim, it's written. It's gimel yud yud mem, not goyim, geyim. We pronounce it Goyim. Rashi writes geim. What's geim? Nobles. Who are the nobles Rashi writes? Antoninus and Rav Yehuda it says, maybe it's Marcus Aurelius, many of the rabbis suggest, but I went to the museum last year and, and uh, Nachliel, uh, one of the teachers, uh, explained to me, no, it's a different Caesar. It says, but these two, Rav Yehuda Hanasi, and Antoninus, they were the wealthiest people in the land. The fact that we have a Torah today is because we have a Torah Sheba Al-Per. Remember, there's two Torahs. There's the written Torah, but in order to understand the written Torah, we need Torah Sheba Al-Per. We were forgetting Torah So what did Rav Yehuda Hanasi do? In around the year 200 of the Common Era, he put together the Mishnah. This is the beginning of the oral Torah being put down on paper. This was a very expensive endeavor. We can't even imagine how expensive. And the only way he was able to accomplish this, even though he was so wealthy, was because he had assistance from none other than Caesar Antoninus. The Gemara relates that every day Antoninus would send a sack large sack to Rav Yehuda Hanasi. it was filled with gold gold uh, dust gold uh, crushed gold and on the top was wheat and he would send it with his servants to Rav Yehuda Hanasi the bags were really filled with gold worth a fortune each one and Rav Judah Hanasi said to Antoninus, you know, the truth is, do I really need it? I'm very wealthy myself. And Antoninus said, no, you take the money. One day we're going to come to you for the money. Whatever we could give you now, let us give you now. says, this is what it should have been. It should have been Antoninus supporting and paying and helping Rav Judah Hanasi to put out the Mishnah, to fulfill his role. But what is it? Esav Harasha. He rebelled. He refused to fulfill his intended role. He didn't want to support Yaakov, the pillar of Torah. Now we can understand what happened at the birth of Yaakov and Esav. The first one comes out red, resembling a hairy man. They named him Esav from the word Asui, done. He's done. He's already a man, even though he's an infant. Afterwards, Yaakov emerges and he's grabbing on to the ankle, to the foot of Esav. They call him Yaakov, the word heel, Ekev. It says, who called him? It says, he called him. Esav should have been Ragley Yaakov. He should have been the legs of Yaakov. He should have been the one to support the Torah. This was his mission. He should have supported Yaakov's life of study. However, he rejected this. He refused to fulfill his mission. So what does Yaakov have to do? If he's not going to be my legs, what do I have to do? I have to grab the legs for myself. Therefore, he appropriately acts and he grabs the leg of Esav. And how do we know this was the right thing to do? Because what's his name, Yaakov, from grabbing the heel? And who named Yaakov, Yaakov? Hashem himself. Hashem saw Esav is not going to fulfill his destiny, and therefore Yaakov is going to have to be his own support. Rashi writes, Hashem himself named him Yaakov because Bnei Israel were not only going to have to learn, they were going to have to support themselves. And therefore he had to receive the brachot from Yitzchak his father. Rabbi Pinchas Friedman expresses a beautiful thought. He says, we see after the wrestling match, says the sun rose as he passed Penuel and he was limping. Rashi says, based on the Midrash, based on the Agadah, he says the sun rose. <coughs> this implies that it rose for Yaakov and he no longer needed to limp. The sun healed him. We learn from another Midrash. Yaakov and Esav have a meeting as children and they decide they're going to divide up the world. Esav says, my world is Olam Hazeh. I want this world. Yaakov, you could have Olam Habba. The commentaries say, if this was the deal, how are we permitted to derive any pleasure from this world? If this world belongs to, to uh, Esav, beyond our basic needs, how can we take more? Yet based on what we learned, we could answer this. Here is the way to understand the Midrash. Yaakov and his descendants inherited Olam Haba. It implies that they would devote themselves to engage in Torah study and doing mitzvot. Esav and his descendants inherit Olam Hazer. It implies that not only are they going to have Olam Hazer, but they're responsible to support and take care of Yaakov, enabling him to study Torah without interruption and distraction. However, what does Esav do? He completely reneges on the arrangement. He refuses to be the legs of Yaakov. This compels Yaakov to also engage in matters of Olam Hazeh in order to provide for Yisrael's scholars of Torah. This is the meaning, lo Hashem, HaShem signified to Yaakov with the sun rising that he would be successful in the matters of this world as well. It may be surprising, after all, the function of Yaakov and his descendants is to study Torah. The Pasuk says that Yaakov, the pillar of Torah, was limping on his hip, Chas v'shalom, due to the absence of, of benefactors of Torah. Therefore Hashem shown the sun. He said to Yaakov that you'll be able to support yourselves. You'll have agreements, arrangements, like Yisrachai and Zivulun. Where someone's going to earn, and someone's going to learn, and the two become partners. Says the Gemaran Sanhedrin. Rav Shimon ben Menashe says, It's unfortunate that a great servant was lost from the world. For had the serpent not been cursed, listen what he's saying. Had the Nachash not been cursed, each and every one of us would have had two good serpents as our servants. And we would send one to the north and one to the south. And they would bring us gems and precious stones and pearls and support us. Here's the explicit reference from the Gemara, Sanhedrin 59b, all the people could ask. Here's the explicit reference teaching us that had the serpent not rebelled against Hashem regarding the Etzadat, he could have chosen instead an honorable role. He could have put his legs to good use. He could have assisted Bnei Yisrael in serving Hashem. We could have been sitting in the Beit HaMidrash, learning Torah while the servant would go out and take care of all of our daily chores. What we see in essence is that the serpent himself was supposed to function as Ragle Yaakov, Yaakov's legs, assisting and providing for the Bnei Yisrael to learn Torah. Instead of assisting mankind to serve Hashem, what happened? He instigated man to sin. Therefore, he confiscated the prestigious role as Ragley Yaakov, he lost his legs as punishment, and he supposed to slither on his belly. Rabbeinu Ha'ari taught us that Rivka Imenu, the Gilgul of Chava, rode on the camel to illustrate that she subdued the Klipa of the Nachash, while it still had legs and resembled a camel, we learned that Rivka was chosen from above to be a suitable mate for Yitzchak so that she could moderate the deen of Yitzchak with her chesed. She was strategically situated where she could intervene and ensure that Yitzchak bestowed the brachot on Yaakov. As the Arizal explained, when she was chava in the previous Gilgul, she fell into the trap of the Nahash. Therefore, it was her duty, this time, to prevent Esav HaRashah, the current embodiment of the ancient snake, from stealing the blessings. This is why she cleverly arranged to meet Yitzchak while riding on a camel. She was alluding to the Nachash that still had legs. This was the camel. She was perhaps hinting at Yitzchak, this is my sacred mission, to control the legs of the Nachash so that it should be used to support the Torah study of B'nai Israel. So she was demonstrating that she controlled those legs. She was returning them to the realm of Kiddushah. For by prevailing upon Yaakov to step in and receive the Brachot in place of Esav, remember we said, Yaakov was always going to receive the bracha of? The bracha of Avraham. He was always going to receive this bracha. This was the bracha of wealth that Yitzchak wanted to go to Esaf to support Yaakov, but Rachel knew, Rivka knew it was never going to happen, and therefore Yaakov had to take the bracha. So we return to where we started. The Pasuk applies according to Rashi. That Rivka, she was startled. She sees this holy Yitzchak. She sees this tremendous Gevura, his Deen. She's shocked. She falls off the camel. Unkelus, um, the Targum, says no. She lowered herself gracefully to the ground. Which is it? Fall? Lower yourself gracefully. We say, Both are correct. How can we understand? How can both be correct? Now that we learn that riding atop the camel symbolized her dominion over the Nachash, which she subdued with her Kiddushah. So it was not plausible to say she fell from the camel. That means she wasn't in control. Therefore, he explains that she intentionally lowers herself from the camel. Understood simply, she is demonstrating her modesty out of respect for Yitzchak, but on a deeper level. She's alluding to Yitzchak that she was a Gilgul of Chava who failed to ride the camel, who failed to control the camel, who failed to overcome and control the Nahash. On the contrary, when the guard to Chava, the Nachash controlled her, caused her to sin with the Etzadat. And this is the message, Vatipol me'al ha'gamal. She's indicating to Yitzchak that in her Gilgul as Chava she fell from the Nachash she failed to control the Nachash but now Yitzchak understood that now she's riding the camel she rectifies the Chava as ched. she's in control of the Nachash HaKadmoy she took away its legs she returned them to the realm of Kiddushah she's in control in the way she's sliding off the Nachash This is really our task, to overcome the lack of control. In doing so, to overcome the Nachash, and to in fact come to use the Nachash to serve us, so that we could better dedicate ourselves to Torah Mitzvot, while the Nachash travels north and south, providing for us. This is the plan. The plan is for the Nachash to serve us, for Esav Edom to serve us and for us to be able to sit back and do what we're supposed to do. God willing, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to try to look into this even more, try to understand in depth the role of Esav, the role of the descendants of Esav and the interaction which we're going through now. We're now in Galut Edom, the ends of Galut Edom. We have to understand these 2,000 years what is it about? What's happening? And where do we go from here? So Hashem, we're going to look into that in the next, uh, next few weeks. I thank everybody who joined us tonight uh, and I look forward to seeing every one of you uh, God willing uh, next Wednesday night. Everybody, thank you. Shabbat Shalom everybody. We're going to try to see if we can more Can we unmute everyone? Okay, everyone could unmute. Hi everyone. How does the Nahash rebel against God? Does the Nachash have free will? Ah, so the, the, the Nachash, the nachash is, is a challenge to us. So the Nahash in rebelling against Hashem is really in creating the challenge to us. The Nahash has a role. And the role really is, it's interesting, the question could be asked, if Yitzchak understands, really, that Yaakov deserves the blessing, then why does he go ahead and give some blessing to Esav after? He says to Esav, he's blessed! Sorry, Charlie! Remember, we said, Yitzchak, the gematria of Yitzchak, is, Victor wrote, is 8 times 26, 208. So that's 8 blessings of 26, of Shem Hashem. That's what Victor wrote. The Gematria of Yaakov is 7 times 26. 7 times 26 is, one, is 182. So the intention was Yitzchak has 8 blessings. He's going to give 7 to Yaakov, 1 to Esav. It says we draw back that extra blessing. And what happens? But he still gives a blessing to Esav. So if Esav is the manifestation of the Nahash, why give him a blessing? It's because we require the challenge in order to do what we're supposed to do. Esav still, the Nahash still has a role to challenge us to be the best who we could be. helpful okay. so well, that's,
1: and that's in other words just part of Hashem's plan
0: to, to, for us we need the challenge
1: you know uh, Sarah had to tell uh, Avraham that um, despite his nature he had to send Yishmael away because Yishmael was really the bad one and Yitzhak was the one who was the good one and Avraham listened to Sarah in this case, Rifka realizes that um, that uh, Yaakov is the good one, and, Yishma, and and Asav is the bad one. So wha- um, I, there's many commentaries on it, why she doesn't tell him the only one that made any kind of sense is that she wasn't instructed to do so. But um, it doesn't say that Sarah was instructed to do so or not to do so, she didn't. So why didn't Rivka just do the same thing and game over, you know, and... That's
0: it. so so let's look at this two ways one let's look at it from normal human nature Sarah is the what are we going to call it, stepmother of uh, uh, you know it's her rival is Hagar's child is Yishmael yeah. Sarah also represents this aspect of Deen she's judgment to Yitzchak to, to Abraham's Chesed so for her to get rid of Yishmael Okay, makes a little sense. We though see that Yishmael in the end does teshuva on his own because we see ya- Rashi mentions when Avraham passes away, they're both Yaakov, Yitzchak and, and, and Yishmael bury him together, Yitzchak first. With regard to Esav, it's much more difficult Because Rivka is his mother. She's his child. No matter how bad your kid is, she's still your kid. Now, does that mean she doesn't want to make sure the right thing happens? She does. Therefore, she needs to make sure that Yaakov doesn't become dependent on Esav because she knows Esav's not going to take care of him. So she's worrying about her two kids. She knows Esav's going to take care of himself. But she has to step in to help Yaakov, but she's still both of their mothers, so she she's not, she, 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 she not going to throw him. now the, the other aspect that the, the the rabbi Avitan always mentioned was and, and here it's very hard because you know people yell at us when we become critical of the Avot. But he said there was no question there seems to be a communication gap between Rivka and Yitzchak. And maybe because Yitzchak was on such a level of holiness, it's possible. The problem there is they're still husband and wife. We even see when they go to Avimelech, Avimelech sees that they're playing around with each other, meaning they have a relationship. So it's really, I agree Alvin, it's one of the most difficult questions to really understand why she just didn't turn to him and say, listen, Let's discuss our kids. So it's maybe a lesson to us that we have to uh, have a conversation to discuss our kids with two spouses and not uh, to just proceed unilaterally.
1: The thing that was most uh, interesting to me was she had the model from Sarah and Abraham. So she would basically be actually duplicating that
0: model. But she, does, she doesn't get rid of him. And not, another thing very strange is this. But, but but I think Yitzchak always knew he was the heir because like we said the end, he gives him the blessing of Avraham. Always the intent was to give the seven blessings to ya- Yaakov. There was never the intent. The question was only him believing that Esav would fulfill his role, which we'll see later is fulfilled in his descendant, who's Marcus Aurelius or Antoninus, whoever he is. And he fulfills some aspect of that role. The question in his modern times is there... The descendant of Esav to fulfill that role. We'll see, I guess, by uh, inauguration day what uh, Hashem's going to decide. <laughs> but uh, and then really, I'm going to tell you something. You know, you see, like Rav Mendel Kessin. There's a bunch of rabbis who are all out there, and they like they're putting it all on the line, and they're saying, "There's no question. Donald Trump will have a second uh, a second term now." And I, I you know. If they're wrong, no one's going to say you. If they're right, well, these guys are going to be able to send out an email and say, send me a check. I'm the only one who predicted this, right? But if, in fact, that happens, then many are going to say, you see, we told you that that Donald Trump is, in some way, the Gilgul that's Metaken Esav by helping B'nai Israel and helping Israel. Good question. We'll see what's going to happen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you, thank you. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a good flight. Thank you, Dave. Thank <laughs> Love you. Bye, guys. Thank you so much. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Hi, Deb. Deb, thank you. Joey took care of me today. <laughs> Anyone need a car? Joey Madelon. <laughs> Thanks, everyone.